0: You're listening to Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince. Every two weeks, they give their thoughts on movies, TV, and anime.
1: artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. Now, if that quote doesn't scare the hell out of you, perhaps the fact that it was spoken by Stephen Hawking will send a chill down your back. This was during an interview with the BBC where he went on to say, It would take off on its own and redesign itself at an ever-increasing rate. Humans who are limited by slow biological evolution couldn't compete and would be superseded. If you think Stephen Hawking is alone in this opinion, he's in fairly good company. Bill Gates shares his worry, as does Elon Musk, chief executive of SpaceX, who makes rockets, who warned that artificial intelligence is, and I quote, our biggest existential threat. And yet, it's a field of study that excites us so much that we continue to strive towards a truly sentient artificial intelligence. Rolo Carpenter, creator of Cleverbot, which has scored very high on the Turing test, is a little bit more optimistic, stating, We cannot quite know what will happen if a machine exceeds our own intelligence, so we can't know if we'll be infinitely helped by it, or ignored by it and sidelined, or conceivably destroyed by it. Even he is open to the possibility of destruction. As for me, I have a very healthy respect for artificial intelligence, even in this primitive stage that we are now in. It's a tool, and a very useful one at that, as even Hawking has stated. However, much like a chainsaw, even the most useful of tools can buck and take your leg off. The thing is, I have the luxury of time, which is an odd statement when what I mean to say is that I will die before this could potentially become a problem, which isn't meant to sound callous towards our children and grandchildren's future. However, as I'm not involved in the field, it really isn't one of my responsibility. The thing is... How do we legislate this anyway? It's simply not possible. Someone, somewhere, will want to create life, regardless of the possible consequences. Today we're going to discuss three recent AI movies. One which made us feel, one which made us question, and one which took Stephen Hawking's concerns and ramped them up to 11. Now before we start, I've made it clear on probably every podcast we've recorded that I love AI, not just as a burgeoning reality, but also as a plot device. I'm currently working on several stories, one with my son, and it's so much fun to play with the infinite possibilities, both good and bad. Now, what are your thoughts and feelings regarding AI events?
0: Before I continue, I just want to make sure you're not going to pull a switch on me again.
1: No, no, this is it. We're we're talking about this. <laughs> Finally, we've only been talking it's, about it for a couple of months.
0: It's so fascinating from a scientific point of view. Where I I'm just curious as to where it will go. I have no concerns one way or another because, quite honestly, whatever happens is going to be so far above my pay grade. <laughs> it's yeah. I, I'm going to be irrelevant, and that's kind of what I'm wondering is. If such a thing does come to sentience, will it just find humanity irrelevant? Not want to destroy them or anything, but just beneath its worth is kind of how I'm looking at it. Well, the thing is, is that it's, it's funny because
1: like for anybody listening to this now, we're basically going to be talking as if this is a very real thing that could come. So <laughs> I don't want to pretend like, you know, there's speculation or whatever, because quite honestly, eventually it will happen. It's just one of those things. There's too many people working on it right now. And there's too many people who've been working on it for a very long time. And well, I mean, case in point, the Turing tests <laughs> that's a bloody long time ago. People are still chasing that dream and it's never going to go away because it is such a fantastical dream with so many possibilities of applications of how you can use this to better our lives. The problem is that we as a species have not evolved enough yet that we're not killing ourselves at every turn. We're not yet evolved enough and intelligent enough that that won't be somehow imparted on anything that we create. Now, that's not me trying to say, you know, whatever we create is going to become violent. That's not what I mean at all. But The idea that you can make it feel, and that's the the ultimate goal, obviously, and then treat it with the respect that it would then deserve. Because I fully believe that in several generations, we will be able to create a truly sentient artificial intelligence. But much like one of these movies we're going to be talking about, what are we going to do with it? We're going to cage it like an animal that we have in zoos right now, and it's going to be intelligent enough to, A, realize that, and then, B, do something about it. So, I think that the potential for an artificial intelligence that we could live alongside and be productive together, help each other, and things like that, I think that... Is something that could theoretically exist. It it could be wonderful, but I think that humans are just going to fuck it
0: up. What <laughs> whatever would give you that idea? What if, today's, what if humanity news.
1: today's news? Today's <laughs> news, literally. Okay, so I mean it's as simple as that. I mean it's it's quite literally. First thing I see this morning in the news is this horrific shooting of the journalist and the the cameraman. And it's like, it's, it's every day something like that is happening. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at our history and the fact that people are still bitching about this Confederate flag stuff that are not unhappy that it's finally being taken down when it's been proven time and time again that the Civil War was about slavery and pretty much nothing else. And yet people still cling to Those ideas, we haven't evolved far enough. So when you're looking at something that is point blank created then, like an artificial intelligence, yeah, it's going to be forced into servitude. And I think that's going to, that's what's going to come back and bite us in the ass. I don't think it's possible. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be, eh, I don't really care about humans one way or another. I, I, I don't think that's what it'll be. I think it will be very much a like what we saw in Ex Machina. That's that that's the reality that I see.
0: It, how is it going to react to what it views as a lesser life form? Is it going to be, you know, are humans going to be pets, beasts of burden, food, or is it going to be like the Neanderthals and just they don't exist anymore? I mean, any one of those is a possibility. Yeah. 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 I the the reason that ex
1: machina struck a chord with me and with a lot of people, obviously is because I see so much reality in that Mm -hmm. because like I said, I've been working on a few stories now with AI and it it fascinates me and I have so much fun with it. And my son too, and we're we're researching different stuff and we've been watching a lot of different things and whatnot. There are a lot of people working on AI right now (laughs) and not just that, but, they're making huge strides. Like some of the things that we're seeing, again, it's, it's, I did not think that I would see it in my lifetime. Now, when we look at, again, how many years we still got left to go and how many years they've been working on and how, how technology advances at an exponential rate, you know, we might see not a sentient AI, but definitely an intelligent AI in our lifetime towards the tail end. So when you think about it in terms of all of these scientists who have no legislation of any kind preventing them from completely doing whatever the hell they want, working on these things, somebody in their basement can be working on it. And if they're damn smart, they can come up with something pretty impressive. And again, you plug that shit into the network and it's, it's out. So, if it's an intelligent enough thing, so the idea that, again, much
0: like Ex Machina, which wasn't the first one I was going to cover, but oh well, it's <laughs> it's just kind of the natural progression of the conversation. Yeah, because it's it's the one most grounded in reality.
1: It is. So this very intelligent guy creating this AI who has the foresight to do it in the middle of nowhere with no network connections whatsoever and things like that, but then falls into the trap of caging it and testing it and prodding it and then going through many models to perfect it and whatnot. So there's, there's so much reality in that show that that's part of what, chilled me to the bone as I was watching it. It's Be- one of the
0: most terrifying movies I've ever yes. seen. yeah.
1: Because it, it really was just that oh my god, I believe this. And that's, that's saying a lot when you're looking at how far-fetched the concept is. Because it, it, it still is mm-hmm. insanely far-fetched. But not so far-fetched that we can go oh, that's just, you know, Ultron. It's never gonna happen kind of thing. No, this is like I can really see this. Not in that cybernetic body kind of thing, but an AI that is in some form of body or just finds a way to get into the network. Man, it was scary as shit to watch that. (laughs) But gripping from beginning to end. Mm -hmm.
0: I don't think I finished my popcorn watching the movie. I was just glued.
1: So for for those who didn't see it, of course, Ex Machina follows Caleb, who is basically just a coder, and he's he works at an internet company, so picture Google kind of thing. And he's smart guy, and he quote unquote wins a competition to go spend a weekend or a week at a private mountain retreat, and that's where the boss of Google, but it's not Google. And that guy's name is uh, Nathan. And that's where he kind of hangs out. That's his retreat. And when Caleb gets there, he finds out that Nathan's been working on an AI and he has to sign a whole bunch of things that he's never going to talk about this to anybody else and, and whatnot and all that. And, there's the, he finds out, he he sees the, the, the AI who that's in a robot girl kind of thing. And he's told to interact with it. And, and it's basically a Turing test is what it is, is do you believe this is a, a, a young woman kind of thing? And and he interacts with her, but you find out as time progresses, a lot of things. Again, the, not only was the film well done in terms of the main plot thing of that fear of the AI, but every little aspect of it also had these weird really terrifying things happening like somebody who is developing an ai that is this advanced is also a alcoholic that gets blind <laughs> drunk that is passing out that is also completely cold hearted and also that actually tricked caleb into Going there, and because he was searching for someone who was drawn to that type of woman, even there's so many little things throughout that just kept building the suspense. And it just again, you knew where it was going, but even once you got to the end and you find out that you know she's been actually mm-hmm. tricking him and deceiving him in order to be able to get out. Terrifying. Absolutely freaking terrifying.
0: And it's all those small little things. Like, for me, one of the scenes that stands out the most is when Nathan brings Caleb into his lab and, like, shows him, you know, the artificial brains and all all that. And he's just so easily talking about invading the privacy of millions of people and all this. And it, it just really sets the character as somebody who has absolutely no morals in trying to achieve his goals. And... You know, that what is that kind of person going to create? And that's really what, again, it's one of those things. It was such a small scene with a bunch of technically throwaway lines. But for me, it meant so much because it made the creator that much more questionable. And then, of course, by virtue of his creation. Exactly. Now, what would this guy make? It's not, it, it became, he's trying to advance Technology And it was more he's trying to advance technology in the way he sees as being correct. So it, it, from that point on, it really painted a lot of the movie in a different light. And I think that's when a lot of the tone of the movie started to shift as well, uh, narratively.
1: See, for me, it was – and I, I I haven't read a lot of reviews on this, actually. So I don't know if there's anybody who was kind of put off by that. But for me, it fit perfectly because – You have to have a certain amount of ego that you would want to create life.
0: Period. Artificial life. I am the one that can do this. (laughs) I am the god of this machine.
1: I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Which beautiful line in there, obviously from Oppenheimer. The but the fact that again we often see someone who is highly intelligent, like Turing. That is still at heart a good person and just troubled by whatever it is, kind of thing. And in Turing's case, it was environmental. It wasn't even him, it was just the environment couldn't accept who he was. But we live in a different age. And the idea of the sleazy, really intelligent person, mm, that's a reality. You know, yeah. the, the world is a way different place. So this guy. That as you see more and more of him, you respect less and less of him. And the fact that he's the one creating this this life and then the impact that has on the creation as well is absolutely believable. And again, frightening as all hell because I see that whenever I think of people working on this. Of course, there's a lot of very intelligent people not morally bankrupt people who are working on AI as well. But I'm sure we don't know everybody who's working in AI.
0: At least one of them is a jerk.
1: Working in his mom's basement, (laughs) screaming at her that he'll be up for dinner when he's good and ready. So so there's, it, it was not only believable, but I thought that it was the right choice to make. I didn't want to see this altruistic, creator that you could respect and then be then see the ai as the villain as the bad Mm -hmm. thing that is just wanting to escape again let's look no further than ultron No, this is you feel for this ai much like in chappie they made that that ai that creation such an such a relatable character that you feel for them and you want to protect them. So it was beginning to end right decisions. And even though the movie has no real kind of ups and downs for, for the most part, it's just that tension builds so very slowly minute by minute, but it never lets up. So by the time you get towards the end, it's wrapped up so much that you're you're on the proverbial edge of your seat kind of thing.
0: By the time the movie was over, like when I got out, back out to my car, I drove home in silence. <laughs> I, I turned off the radio. Like, I was just like, I, it took me a long time, like days to really absorb everything this movie did to me. Yeah. And
1: the acting throughout was phenomenal. And I liked that for the most part, at least for myself, didn't recognize everybody kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. the the guy who plays Caleb, um, Dom. Domino. Domino. Yeah. I what else has he been in do we know I going to check actually yeah and uh and so yeah there were a, a lot of people that i you know hadn't seen in in a lot of things oh he he was in a harry potter which explains why i didn't see mm-hmm. him but oh, uh, he was a weasley yeah so the the and I like that, especially in a movie like this, because you're not supposed to care that it's Robert Downey Jr. there kind of thing. You're supposed to mm-hmm. care about, A, the creation and about the interactions between them. And that's the other thing, too, that I really liked about this. And 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 it speaks more to the writing than the acting, which isn't taken away from the acting. I have made that very clear. But the writing was so brilliant in terms of the interactions between all of the three players kind of thing. You could have had this show on a stage you know, and just had mm-hmm. it as a play in just that, just a couple of rooms with just those three people. And it would have worked beautifully because again, that tension builds and builds and builds throughout and the relationship between the three of them and how they interact a, you not all together because you don't see all together really, but each of them together in their own way and the secrecy Or implied secrecy, which isn't there, throughout and the manipulation of everybody except for Caleb. He's the only one that's not trying to manipulate anybody, except for the little when he's trying to fool Nathan to help the the, the A.I. I I don't know about that.
0: I I, I think near the end he was trying to manipulate Ava to... He was – obviously, he was in love at that point, let's say, and he was trying to manipulate her to feel the same way about him because he was unsure.
1: I don't know that I'd go so far as to say manipulate. I don't want to say manipulate in the same way
0: everybody else is manipulating him, (laughs) but I I, I don't think he's entirely innocent as well. I don't know about that.
1: I I would actually argue that point Uh, just because, again, it's – I don't think that he was trying to manipulate her so much as to – A, come to grips with how he felt Mm -hmm. and also what she might actually try to understand what she is thinking, what she is feeling. Because you got to remember, too, that at at that point, he's still trying to determine whether or not he's an AI as well.
0: The scene in the bathroom mirror just was phenomenal. Oh, my God. Phenomenal.
1: Phenomenal. That whole twist of are you sure you're not the AI uh, kind of thing was like, holy crap. So <laughs>
0: as the viewers, like, am I an AI? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah, there was there were so many things between each of the characters that was so bloody well done and then when you're getting the those moments when he's trying to break her out and he's stealing the key and all these things by that point the tension has built up so high that even just something that simple you're like <laughs> just can can't wait to see whether or not it's gonna he's gonna pull it off or not it again there were there were so many little things throughout that were so well placed and so well done that when you get to the reveal and you find out how Nathan was using him, unlike a lot of shows where, and, and I'll, I've said it before, whether it's in comics or games or whatever, when you have that lazy writing that is trying to pull the rug out from under you, but there was never any clues, it's just a writer being lazy, I hate that. That doesn't happen here. You can actually look back at all the little things going on between Nathan and Caleb and Nathan and and Ava. Granted, there's some things you don't see that are revealed later when you see the camera footage, which you have to have some fresh stuff. But it was the clues were kind of there. You saw it. So I really, really dug that reveal and how it was handled.
0: Especially I like how, again, with those clues that were given, we're always given all of the clues but not all of the information those clues have like like when he showed uh caleb the video but didn't give him the audio like we it was right there in front of us we just as the viewers didn't have the information just as much as the characters did and i really appreciated that that everything was there at the same time it wasn't hidden information it was just there's more than than what's there and it obviously uh, affected our perceptions of those scenes the same way it did the characters. Yeah. I, it And it goes back to what you were saying about with the small cast and also for me, especially the small scenery that they were in, you know, we are trapped in this house just as much as Caleb and Ava yeah. are. Yeah. It, it wasn't, we are watching what's happening. It, it felt like we were there experiencing that alongside Caleb.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And toss in the, insanely sleazy aspects as well with Kyoko. Oh boy. And, and again, I've said this often, very often. Again, you can allude to a lot of different, really bad things kind of thing. And that is good enough. You don't have to show that's enough. And this thread, a fine line, but it was good enough that it was like, holy crap. And the impact was there and it was so well done. And it, again, it proved my point that you can have everything leading up and the sleaziness and, and everything because it's important to for you to see just the, the depravity of that character, but you don't have to, to cross that line. And they didn't, and it worked to great effect.
0: Yeah. Uh, it,
1: yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Especially when she's opening up the doors and seeing yes. all the various uh. models because that's not something I had actually expected kind of thing. And so when, when she opens the first one, you're going, Oh I dear knew there Lord. were more. I didn't know he was keeping, keeping them in his yeah, bedroom. Yeah. So that was like, Holy crap. And when she starts peeling off the skin and applying it on herself, <laughs> again, so well done. That scene and- could have been really really bad but it was just it wound up being something where you're like you're seeing her being reborn and 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 you're feeling the freedom that she no doubt feels as well and and when you're thinking of it in terms of you know freedom by applying skin onto herself it's not something you would imagine but that's what it is in the story
0: And, and once again it works beautifully And I have to give all credit. Who was the composer on this movie? Oh, geez, I don't know. Uh, Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow. The music was amazing throughout. Like It it set the scenes perfectly, especially there when she's, you know, Ava is gaining her own visual identity. It was very innocent, very sweet. And that same tune, because that's when, you know, you had all the stuff with her escaping and locking Caleb in, it was the same tune, but the notes started getting more and more distorted. Oh, it was chilling. (laughs) It was everything about it, everything
1: about it beginning to end. And I cannot recommend this show enough. Let's move on to Chappie. Now Chappie was another one that was very unique in how it was handled, which is not surprising as it's a Neil Blomkamp film. So, I went in fully expecting a Neil Blomkamp film, and I was not disappointed <laughs> because, again, we're going to be talking about Avengers Age of Ultron in a little bit, and that is the quote-unquote big American blockbuster kind of thing. And the thing that I always like about- it doesn't
0: get much bigger or oh, more yeah. American, <laughs> unless <laughs> Michael Bayes. Yeah, really.
1: <laughs> the thing that I love, love about Blomkamp, as we've discussed in the past, is that you have settings- in different places it's it feels far more international which again the world's a big place it's not always just mm-hmm. the U.S. kind of thing so I really love that about his films and with this one here you also get that very um, international cast as well I mean everyone from uh, Dev Patel to um, Charlotte Copley which who plays Chappie? Which I thought was he did such a good job. Yeah, and then you have Ninja, who apparently nobody liked. <laughs> like, see, here's the thing: nobody. it was
0: obvious stunt casting by casting Die Antwoord, a rap group, South African rap group, in the movie as themselves. And initially, oh, I couldn't stand either of them. By the end of the movie, I actually loved them. <laughs> Yeah, but because they like, they were so stupid, but you couldn't help but on one hand kind of feel sorry for
1: them. Well, it wasn't just that; it was also in how they eventually worked with Chappie, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there was and they, a lo- they
0: both developed their relationships with him in very different yes. ways, but it they still became a family by the end.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, even oh, what's a uh,
1: the woman's name. That was, is that Yolandi? Yeah, that's Yulandi. Mm-hmm. Like, she stole the show. She stole, for me personally, she stole every scene that she was in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely adored her. Hugh Jackman was fantastic in this. We don't see him often as a villain. And so this here really was a departure from the norm for
0: him. I'd say he was great, but the character itself was underdeveloped.
1: True, there was a lot of again the stereotypical kind of just and that I will say I think of that as lazy writing as well because they he fell into far too many stereotypes of what mm-hmm. that type of guy would and, do. and
0: that was really all we had to go on for that character was those stereotypes oh he's military gun nuts you know christian yeah. that yeah. that's his character like there was no development it was just, this is him, and he, you know he rampaged through the scenes like a bull, and again Jackman was great in the role exactly I just think the role. Deserved a little more,
1: and I think that that's the only thing that made it engaging for me is that he did such a good job at it, and Scordner Weaver was good as well. You didn't see too much of her, and you know what she did wasn't over the top acting that would
0: warrant any kind of praise, but it was it was still good. She's she's the 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 voice of authority yeah. just like the her the role she played in uh cabin in the woods or ed harris in snowpiercer it's when they're on the screen you're paying attention yeah 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 they don't they don't need to say a lot they don't need to do much but you're paying attention yeah
1: and of course patel i could watch him in anything <laughs> i i seriously i love that guy and like when we were watching the newsroom which i know you had said you were not a huge fan of, but we adored the newsroom and he just was brilliant in it. And he went through such a story arc and it was fantastic. Like I, he's such a good actor. And so he is of course the one who creates this AI and he wants to put it into the mechanized police force that they have. And of course that, He's told that he can't and he winds up stealing one of them and putting the AI into it. And of course it, it, it learns, but before he can, you know, do anything with it to teach it. And, and this is what we were talking about earlier, the, the the AI is going to learn from whoever is either created it or whoever it's around kind of thing. And that's when you get this, these criminals who steal it and then want to use it to just wreak havoc on the world. The concept was really good. I liked that. I liked how everything played together. I liked how, again, Chappie is is a kid in a big mechanical body. It's it's like we were just talking on for the lore when we were talking about Tales of the Borderlands about the the robot that's mm-hmm. in there, Gordis, and it's it's voiced by. Uh, it, it sounds like it's a little kid voice kind of thing, and that's that's Chappie. You know, Chappie is still a two-year-old, a 3 year a four-year-old that's still learning and wants to, wants to impress his parents and all of these things. And, and I just freaking love that. Especially when you're having the scenes where he's got all the bling around him and everything and, and shooting. And again, to, to Copley's credit, even though you don't see him and you don't, you don't see the facial expressions, which are, you need, you need that in order to really get what's going on with an actor in the body the 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 way that he moved everything about how he moved and everything you saw the discomfort you saw when he was trying to be brave you saw everything he did
0: such a good job with it and also Chappie himself the model in the movie was so emotive yeah. with his limited facial expressions but they designed him brilliantly to be on the surface, functional, but still give him that much character in the movie.
1: Well, it was also those ears. Those mm-hmm. ears helped
0: immensely. They, they they have kind of these rabbit ear antennas. He becomes a puppy dog once you give him the ears. Exactly. I, I dare you not to connect with him. Like Everybody I know who didn't like the movie failed to connect with Chappie himself on an emotional level. And I'm going to say there's something wrong with yes. those people yeah. because – to be perfectly honest, narratively, the movie does have some flaws, but everything character-wise and emotionally works so well, it's one of the times I'm perfectly okay with overlooking those flaws. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you break it down, again, it
1: fell into some cliches of things that we have seen before, many of them, but like we've said time and time again, it's what you do with it that matters, and for the most part... I felt that it was handled properly. Again, there were a few points, like you said too, with, with um, Hugh Jackman's character, where you're like, oh, okay, come on, we we saw this coming now, and and the, the moments of redemption for different characters and all that, I think there was a little bit too much of that. And that's where Ex Machina really shined for me, in that there didn't have to be any redemption. This is a truth, there's bad people who are trying to use, abuse, all of these things, and... Well, they get killed with a knife to the back. <laughs> Whereas Chappie was trying much harder to not necessarily see the best in everyone, but certainly bring a happy ending where not everybody is morally bankrupt, that they're trying to do what's right towards the end when they figure it out kind of thing. So there was a little bit too much of that. But I keep going back to the fact that it's a Camp film. And you know that when you watch it, if you've seen his other films and you appreciate them when you watch this, you will know this is a Blomkamp film. And if you're a fan of his style of directing, you'll love it. Mm-hmm. So, and this one here, of course, ends with Patel being able to go into a body. Apparently they had a couple of different outtakes too. There's a, there's an alternate ending on the, uh, the Blu-ray. I'm going to have to pick up the Blu-ray just to see. But, uh, What happens is that instead of Chappie being transferred into just one robot, his consciousness actually is transferred into all of the police robots. Oh, wow. So it's like, ooh, I want to – even if it's only three minutes, I need to see that. (laughs) Maybe I'll just YouTube it. But, uh, But yeah, as a whole, I loved this film. I really did. I don't put it on par with Ex Machina.
0: But I don't put much on par yes. with X Mocket. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> that's that's an unfair standard.
1: But I still loved it. And I will say, as a Blomkamp film, it's like really close second to District 9 for me. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Yeah. And then of course we have the blockbuster that was Age of Ultron. And I mean, we were big fans of As Everybody of the first one. So this I was know one guy that didn't like it. This one here or the first one?
0: The first one. He Seriously? didn't watch this one because he hated the first one. Wow. He also didn't like Fury Road, so screw that guy.
1: <laughs> Alrighty then. This was one... <laughs> What's funny is that this caused a lot of people to think and argue, but not for reasons that you would think. <laughs> Had nothing to do with AI, nothing to do with this concept of AI taking over and all that, but rather how, you know, different characters were handled in the the show. Just as an overarching kind of feel for the movie, what
0: did you think about it? I think it tried to do too much and didn't particularly succeed at any of it as well as its predecessor did. I kind of,
1: I had a problem with various aspects and I say Mm -hmm. that and I'll say point blank right from the start, I still liked it. Obviously. I mean it's a it's a Marvel Avengers movie. It was fun, it was silly, it had some great moments, but it also had some problems. And I don't say that just in terms of, well, I'm comparing it to the comics. No. No. The the Marvel There's
0: no comic to compare it to. Yeah. The Marvel
1: cinematic universe has progressed in on its own path enough now that I think for most of us we're not really comparing it all that much anymore to the comics. I mean, case in point, the comics, it's not Stark that creates Ultron, it's Pym. Now, did you actually find out anything more about, like,
0: the, the actual logistics of how that came about? Uh, not particularly, because it's old, old 1960s Avengers comics, which are fun, but uh, don't hold up very well over yeah. the years. And like I said, it's, it's been pretty much the same plot point, for years a decades even of okay hank pym created a robot wanted to do good robot saw humanity as the problem became a supervillain and that's kind of been all of it you know you throw in the vision you know, a decade later and then the stuff we talked about on comic book informer a couple months ago with uh, the rage of ultron comic where they they keep trying to play up like that father-son aspect but They never quite pull it off, so it always just reverts back to stereotypical mustache twirling supervillain.
1: Yeah, yeah. the um, The fact that Ant Man just came out and Pym has been now introduced into the Marvel cinematic universe in a meaningful way. Was he actually ever mentioned before?
0: Even, I mean, for a
1: a founding member of the Avengers in the actual comic books. So, I
0: think it might have been one of those you know, throwaway names. Somebody rattles off somewhere yeah. in the background like we've seen in every movie. But he's never been specifically mentioned for any role he's played.
1: Yeah. So it winds up being Stark that has this idea for Ultron, has had it forever. And they toss in Bruce like they can – like I know Bruce is an exceptionally smart guy in the comics as well kind of thing. But if you haven't read the comics – And especially if you haven't read some of the Hulk stuff, like I, I don't read all the Hulk stuff because some of Mm -hmm. it is, I, it's not my cup of tea kind of thing. The, um, some of it has been really good though. And some of the recent stuff we talked about it on the combo Conform podcast too. And I know that I did where you really find out just how smart he is, you know, and how sure of himself he is and things like that. And that's not something that's come across in the movies, however. To the same degree.
0: Not even close, in my opinion. So, I think a lot of it has to do with they've always been playing in Stark's sandbox. Yeah. So like I think just by default, Banner is, you know, the second tier character in that tandem.
1: Yeah. But what I'm saying is that if you haven't read the comics and you don't get that, I found that the jump to that AI, the Ultron AI that he wants to create it, came. Way too fast and wasn't explained enough, Mm -hmm. like, at all. If you don't know the comics and and who Ultron is, I mean, they get into it very, very fast and reference it as if we're supposed to know what it is. Right. and
0: It's like picking up issue two of a comic is how the the beginning parts of this movie felt.
1: More like 22 because there was no setup and it was just Boom what does this look like? Oh, I can work on Ultron. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I haven't even, Jesus, finished half of my popcorn yet. (laughs) And I was eating some during the trailers. (laughs) So it came way too fast, and I was put off
0: by that. Mm
1: -hmm. And again, it's... It,
0: It never fit. It was always like this separate thing from the rest of the movie.
1: It felt like it was shoehorned in, exactly. And I hate it when they do that. Like, I mean, again, Whedon is a genius of storytelling. We've seen that time and time again across multiple movies, TV shows, you name it. And yet here it just felt like it was rushed just so that they could get to explosions. And mm-hmm. then I was like, oh come on. Like part of what made the original so great was the build up, was the camaraderie, was all these things. Yes, there's a lot of big fighting action sequences, of course. But there was also a lot of preamble leading up to it in different scenes that were far more intense and personal whereas this was just okay here's ultron now we have to fight him because he's gonna just destroy the world so
0: yeah even as ludicrous as loki coming to earth with the space gem or the mind gem sent there by thanos to use the cosmic cube to open a portal i can at least explain that i just did no it might not make sense when you truncate it down to just a couple sentences but there's a logical progression of the plot. Whereas here it was the Avengers were doing something in Russia or wherever they were. They came home, made an AI, went to a party, and it's a supervillain now.
1: And, and then it never stops from that point on. Because
0: that, that, as far as I could tell, that was the entire plot progression of the first half hour of the movie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And see, that's a huge um, failure for me. Because like a lot of people, I have a lot of respect for Whedon as a storyteller. Based on all of his, I, hell, I love Dollhouse. <laughs> we loved it. We watched it all, loved it. Like there's a lot of stuff and I'm not even going to go into Firefly because one of these days we're covering that on this show. <laughs> <Don't> cry. I <laughs> love a weed knows no bounds. So when something like this comes out and I know he said that it was basically a nightmare juggling all of these actors Mm-hmm. But to me, that's not an excuse for bad storytelling, and that's what this comes off as for me. I
0: I think it says a lot that now that this is done, both Marvel Studios and Whedon have mutually agreed to go separate, go their separate ways. I think Whedon has kind of done everything he wants to do in this world, and at the same time, the studios uh, guys kind of want somebody that's more fitting with you know their concept of the movies going forward because i think especially as we see here as it gets darker and as we've seen in uh, in the upcoming movies i don't think whedon would be a good fit for the style like i think the russo brothers are a perfect fit from what we saw in winter soldier and they're progressing down like that darker more serious not even darker darker is you know more to describe the dc movies but definitely more serious tone that whedon can do but If Whedon's going to do a Whedon movie, he's also going to want to do his fun, emotional character stuff as well. So I I think this was a good example of why Whedon isn't doing any more movies. And it's not that they don't want him. It's not that they don't like him. It's just he's no longer a good fit for what they're trying to do.
1: Which is too bad, too, because especially like I'm looking at Civil War as an example. And I'm thinking there's so many aspects of Civil War. If they stick with some of the basic principles that were in the comic that Whedon would shine at, that he mm-hmm. would be so good. But like you just said, he has his own flair and that would come out. And I don't think civil war is the right story for basically
0: any kind of humor to come out. And it's like, you look at this, the funny parts were funny. The dramatic parts were dramatic, but it was never cohesive. Yeah.
1: So the, the one thing that I did like is actually their handling of the vision. I, I wasn't crazy about Wanda and Pietro Maximoff. I I, I, know. I hated
0: Wanda. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Quicksilver grew on me a little bit, but only because they killed him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and leave it to Whedon. Man, he's got to kill somebody <laughs> off every freaking movie or TV show. What the hell's wrong with you? This is my sandbox, and I'm burying this freaking doll. <laughs> so, yeah, I really didn't like it. And I know that that is really tough because they have to share those characters between the two kind of studios. So I can understand that and I understand that they had to change things because they're not mutants in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I I can
0: deal with that. That's no big deal to me. So I I think it's more a matter of they were introduced, developed and given at least in some way a send off all in – couple hours yeah whereas you go back to the first avengers where it had the same huge cast you know, and all that they were all established coming in i can't think of any character aside from maria hill that was established in that movie and you know she was hardly that important we need lot. more of her yes oh she's great don't get me wrong she's but she wasn't central awesome. to it no i
1: know i just saying we need a lot more of her <laughs> but yeah so i wasn't crazy about that but going back to the vision though the Vision is someone in the comics that I know has been through a hell of a lot. I mean, these are freaking...
0: I don't think you really do know. I know some.
1: I don't know at all. I but think
0: you I know. know some and you think that's a lot.
1: Okay. <laughs> I know... I I can appreciate the tip of an iceberg <laughs> yes. and understand that there's still a lot under the water. But man, that tip sure looks good. And
0: we're not going to take that out of context. Boy. But... I like, wish we did episode titles on popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> but the
1: <laughs> the, um, the vision in the comics marries Wanda, and you see that you've already skipped
0: affection- like a decade. Of scare- yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But I'm just kind of relating it to the movie. Shut up. You can talk about him in a minute. But you see that in. In this, a little bit. So there's that callback for those of us who know at least that much kind of thing. But just the way that the character was handled, because again, the Vision is the son of Ultron. And I I don't think there was quite enough about that, but just the character and how he progresses. And the the, the shit with with Thor's hammer, that was priceless.
0: That alone... that was exactly what the movie needed at that point. Yeah. He he was the character... Character that brought the team together in this film. It, it wasn't the you know, Thor. It wasn't Captain. America, it was Vision. Vision yep. became the heart of the team throughout yep. the last stretch of the movie. yeah
1: Yeah. And that's what I mean. It was a perfect moment at a perfect time. So well done, and I absolutely loved it. Love. And that's love, one love. of those
0: things that I don't think anybody could have done as well as Whedon did of hitting that exact beat at yeah. that exact moment.
1: Yeah. 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 That. In my opinion, that scene. And the scene where they're joking around trying to lift it
0: mm-hmm.
1: was worth the price of admission.
0: I enjoyed it that much. And, and also the banter near the end when they're trying to decide how you know what happens if it goes up in an elevator. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it, it became a running joke throughout yeah. the movie, but it be it was, it was a running joke that was also really important. Because well, yeah. did he lift it because he's a robot and doesn't have a soul? Or <laughs> is he worthy? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. Okay, so then
0: educate us then a little bit about Vision then without taking too, too long. So the reason, I'll, I'll just to kind of give you the close up. The reason Vision fell in love with Wanda in the first place is that when Ultron created him, because uh, Vision wasn't the first lackey that Ultron sent after the Avengers. The first was Simon Williams, Wonder Man. And Wonder Man failed spectacularly to the point where he joined the Avengers. (laughs) So when he built the Vision, he used Simon Williams' brain patterns as, like, the basis for the artificial intelligence. That's why Vision fell in love with Wanda, because he was basically a reincarnation of her ex, because Simon was dead at that point. So there's a lot of drama there. Yes, they got married. They had kids that turned out not to be real because Wanda's insane and has reality-warping powers, (laughs) <laughs> That's when you led into the whole disassembled thing, where Wanda finally lost her mind, went insane, <laughs> reprogrammed the Vision to commit suicide and blow up Avengers. Man, this dude's been through a lot, <laughs> 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 and he's a he's a robot that cries. He's awesome, and yeah, the
1: he, actor they chose for it was really good. I it's actually Jarvis. Hold on a second. Yeah, but what's the, the name of the actor? Who I don't did know, Jarvis. It, um, Paul Bettany. Yes. Man, he was phenomenal. Yes. Phenomenal. And I will say, initially, on my first viewing, I was not crazy about James Bader as Ultron. I really wasn't. Neither was I. But second watching and knowing a little bit more about, A, what to expect for the movie, and also having read a little bit more of the comics as well, because we had Mm -hmm. read some for, uh, for Comic Book Informer, I enjoyed it a lot more the second time around. And then I'd I'd watch some features on it as well and things like that. And you go, okay, I see what you're doing. It makes a lot more sense now. And when I watched it again, I did enjoy it.
0: Yeah, this is something we talked about after I saw it on Comic Book Inform about how, like, his joking really didn't fit. And on the first viewing, it was, okay, he's obviously programmed by Stark. You know, has a lot of that Stark
1: sarcasm in him.
0: So he's trying to replicate that. But honestly, the way I saw it, like, on a second viewing was it was just – he wasn't trying. If anything, he was trying not to make that many jokes. Yeah, he was holding back. There yeah. was so much more it, in It was there. just such a natural thing that he himself as an artificial intelligence hated. Yeah.
1: The other thing that struck me, and this is funny because, you know, nobody likes Hawkeye. Nobody likes Hawkeye. The only time we've liked Hawkeye is in the recent which ended now Hawkeye. So
0: we're we're allowed to not like him again.
1: (laughs) Hawkeye series. And here we got a lot more stuff about him with his secret family tucked away in the middle of nowhere kind of thing and whatnot. And I'm not going to lie. I'm not a huge Jeremy Renner fan, Mm -hmm. which isn't to say I dislike him. It's just that eh, he doesn't do much for me. He was good in the first one. he's been in
0: everything for the last five years.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've seen him in a bunch of stuff. And I'm I'm going to flat out say some of the stuff I saw him, I was like, oh, God, that was horrible. It's not that he's a bad actor. It's just I don't think he's always getting the proper roles kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And with the first one, it kind of worked a little bit better. I enjoyed him a lot better in the first one, which is ironic because here they try to give him a lot more history, a lot more personality so that you can care for him. And yet... What winds up happening, at least for me, is that I was like, eh, I I just can't be bothered. I I really, I, while that scene at the house was supposed to be showing that part of him and you really like him more, for me, it kind of did the opposite. What about
0: you? I really liked him. The the scene where he's watching Tony and Steve outside and talking with his wife about, you know, what am I going to do? And, you know, she kind of gives him the pep talk. And the way that paid off at the end of the movie when he's giving Wanda the pep talk of, listen, I'm just a guy with a bow. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying my best. I actually really liked it.
1: Again, there were moments that I did, but I found that there were more where I could see the strings that Whedon was trying to, you know, pull for us. And it was like, I don't appreciate that. You're you're trying a little Hmm. too hard to manipulate our feelings for the character. Instead of it feeling organic, it felt forced and contrived. At least for me, that's how it felt.
0: I can see how you would feel that way. I just didn't have the same effect on me.
1: And then, of course, the obvious one is Black Widow. Yes. That was a... The character that has spawned a million articles. Yeah. A colossal failure, in my opinion. Um, Like I... Like anyone, especially any grown man... <laughs> Huge fan of Scarlett Johansson. We've seen her in some incredible shows where we see that she can portray pretty much anything. And she can mm-hmm. portray a character that's smart, intelligent, badass, you name it, she can do it. And here she's just a fuck buddy for Brent, for, for Bruce. And, I mean, there were so many parts where you're like, she's... Again, we talk about Maria Hill, like Kobe Smulders. Oh, man, talk about loving a character. Jesus. You can't watch How I Met Your Mother without falling in love with this woman. She's just such a good actress who plays a badass like nobody's business. And we need so much more of Maria Hill in these Avengers and any Marvel show that has mm-hmm. S.H.I.E.L.D., she needs to be there, in my opinion. So... She's completely underused. I mean, you look at the cast of characters, and with the exception of her and you got Wanda and and, and Scarlett Johansson, it's all dudes. So if you're going to have so few characters that are women, A, eh, that's not cool, but B, they better be freaking well-written and directed and acted. And this was like, oh my God, what are you doing to this character?
0: And it it's really disappointing because... I see what they were trying to do. They just failed at every single possible step. Yeah. what What's funny like is... Like, putting her in a relationship with Bruce, and, again, the story they were trying to tell between the two of those characters, theoretically, could have worked and been pretty good. Realistically, not
1: so much. Well, not just that, but then making her into this damaged character that has been you know, made
0: barren and everything else. And 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 that was completely unnecessary. Like raising a little girl to be an assassin should be damage enough. Yeah. There were so many things that you're going, what are you doing?
1: And, and I will say this. And again, this is me then superimposing my thoughts based on the comics that I've read. There is a black widow series that's running right now. That is spectacular. And I urge anybody who, if you're into comics or whatever, if you like the black widow character, Go check it out. A, beautifully written. B, the art is among the best art in comics right now. It's a painterly style, kind of like watercolor thing. It's gorgeous. And I love this series because it shows this kick-ass, intelligent character that is still flawed. She doesn't have to be perfect. She doesn't have to be just a kick-ass woman who always does right. No, she can have flaws, obviously. But that's not what came across here. So... Yeah, everybody else. Obviously, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. now is freaking Tony Stark. I mean, yeah. someday I'm, they'll replace I think him. It's and, more
0: the other way around at this point. Yeah, yeah.
1: And one day they'll replace him because they won't be able to afford him anymore. And they can't
0: afford him now. That doesn't mean they're not still paying yeah.
1: him. <laughs> Those are going to be some big shoes to step into. And everybody else was pretty much, you know, at this point, it's old school for them. So, I mean, the characters were great. They did a great job. I I love Anthony Mackie as Falcon. I Mm -hmm. love that dude. And we saw him in Ant-Man as well. He's just a likable character. He fits the character as well. He's not exactly like the comic, but I love him. I I, I love him. I I like
0: movie (laughs) Falcon more than that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, I mean. And we we had a little bit of uh, Don Cheadle in here. Which, again, yes. that's another great chemistry between the characters. And and finally getting, like, the B-list characters' interactions with the rest yeah. of the yeah. Avengers. Because that's something that obviously we're going to be seeing a lot of going forward. And I, I can't think of any of those bits that I didn't really enjoy. Yeah. Like, come on, Cap, you know, selling uh, <laughs> war machines, war stories. Yeah. That, was, that was brilliant. <laughs> so any parting thoughts
1: on it? Or anything else for this episode?
0: I don't know. Like, because we've looked at a movie that was the best. I, I, I think without a doubt, it's probably the best movie I've seen this year. Another movie that I really, really liked, but was flawed. And another movie that was also flawed. But just a ton of fun. Yeah. And For it's, the most part. It's, it's three very different types of films. And you can even objectively say not all of them were good, but. I'll still watch all of them again. Yeah. For very different reasons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, one was just visceral fun. One was an emotional attachment. One is just inside my brain for the rest of my life. (laughs) Yeah. You
1: know a movie's good when you're thinking, I'm going to need to watch this again someday. Not necessarily (laughs) anytime (laughs) soon, but someday I'm watching this again.
0: I own the Blu-ray for Ex Machina. Yeah. Still
1: haven't watched it again. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Stop by the site at popcornronin.com. Give us your thoughts on what you thought about these. Of course, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher as well. You can also find us on Twitter, myself at Zen Buddhist and Vince's at Simodian. And with that, we will talk to you in a few weeks when we are going to be having a fantastic episode talking about the Fast and Furious franchise. And we're actually going to have a couple of guest co-hosts with us. So it should be a lot of fun because I'm also anticipating a lot of liquor before during and after <laughs> this episode it should be a ton of fun and I'm looking forward to it so thanks for listening we'll talk to you guys later
0: for more TV movie and anime
1: reviews please make certain to stop by PopcornRonan.com and leave the guys your thoughts in the comments if you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince check out their comic book informer podcast as well as for the lore a weekly gaming podcast and lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.